Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening, and thank you for listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on this Tuesday evening. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who listen to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your home. Appreciate it very much. Again, it is a 90-minute program, so be sure that you stay with us as long as you can. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And not only listen, but we look forward to your interaction. You can send in your questions, your concerns, or maybe you don't have a question, but you have a suggested topic that you would like discussed here on That's Truth. Please share that. In fact, before we jump into any questions, let me uh, share with you. We've had over 200 Well over 200 episodes of That's Truth. And we want this program to continue to be as practical as possible. And the best way to do that is to hear your input as far as what programs, what topics you think should be discussed. So feel free to send in your suggested topics to us or mention them to the call screener as you call in. We have a question that has come in from a listener since last week's episode. It was a listener who sent in two videos about tithing. The first video is a man saying that what the church teaches about tithing is not biblical. He says, tithing was only about giving food. No verse says that we should tithe. Most of the disciples did not tithe. Jesus didn't tithe. And the tithe was specific for farmers in Israel. The second video is of a man teaching also about the tithe. He says, we are not under the Mosaic law, so we don't need to tithe. Jacob's example of tithing was a one-time event. Jesus commanded tithing, but this is because he was living under the law. Sacrificial giving is taught in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament, people gave more than 10% most of the time. And he summarizes by saying, we are not required to tithe today, but we should give sacrificially. The listener who sent this in says, Pastor Murphy, is there any truth in these videos about tithing? Yeah, there's a lot of truth that uh, you find in those two videos. I, I listened to them. Uh, but I'd just like to make a few comments. Number one, uh, please understand that the tithe predated the law. Now, how did uh, Abraham know that he was supposed to give 10, um, uh, 10% of the um, the bounty he got when he pursued those who had captured um, Lot? Uh, clearly, that had to be some kind of a uh, pre-law principle that was instilled within Abraham. Now, we're not given any specifics about that. It's just like the Sabbath that was set uh, set set apart before the the law 
and then it was incorporated into the law. It is quite similar to the tithe. It was pre-law, and then it was incorporated into the system of law that was given under the Mosaic economy. Uh, in the Old Testament, clearly it was mandated uh, in relation to the matter of, of giving tithes. And remember that uh, the Jewish economy was an agrarian economy, basically. It was an agricultural economy. And that is how they gave uh, back to the Lord. Uh, every person, in some way or the other, was involved in some kind of farming or agriculture or cattle, whatever it is, and that's how they gave back to the Lord. Uh, when our Lord was on earth, uh, it is clear that He did commend the use of the tithe. He said, you tithe, mint, and anise, this you should do, but you forget the weightier things of the law. So he did not reprobate it, the actual giving of the tithe. You find that in, in, in the Gospels. What is fascinating, uh, in my judgment, about how our Lord viewed giving was the widow who went to the temple and gave uh, in the temple, and he saw people giving out of their abundance. And uh, this woman went and she gave, and uh, our Lord uh, said that she gave more than all of those people who would give out of the abundance. And the reason for that is they gave out of the abundance, she gave all that she had. So he measured her gift not by what she had afterwards, but what she didn't have afterwards. In other words, it was a sacrificial giving that he commended. Everybody gave the tithe out of it, which was required. This woman gave beyond the tithe. She gave all that she had, and that's what he recognized. What was left back, she had nothing left back. The others, of course, uh, gave out of the abundance. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, under the Old Testament economy, the gifts that were given were to maintain two things, the temple, and the and the priest uh, under the New Testament economy. And by the way, there was one centralized place of worship, so you only had one house to take care of. You only had one set of priests to take care of. In the system of the uh, the church, is a completely different entity. Each church is a separate entity. Each church is independent. Uh, each church has been commissioned to carry the gospel to the end of the world. The question is, how can that be done? without the sacrificial giving of God's people. And that's why uh, Paul says in his Corinthians epistles, uh, when it comes to giving, it should not be you, you feel constrained and of necessity, but you do it cheerfully and generously and sacrificially. That is the spirit in which uh, believers should give to the Lord. I agree with one of the uh, statements that was made in the video, that under the Old Testament economy, the baseline was 10%. Uh, I, I find it difficult to believe that the church will feel that somehow that they should give less than what we had under law. We've got more blessings under grace than we got under law. We've got a much greater task to fulfill than Israel had, uh, which is to carry the gospel to the end. Of the world. How is that going to be fulfilled? How do we send missionaries to different parts of the world? How do you found churches? And at least to get those first churches started, uh, and you got men to fill the pulpit. How how do you not help those men who are beginning their ministries so that they can develop a large church? So I do feel that while you cannot say that in the Old Test New Testament there's any clear, definitive, uh, "Thou shalt tithe," the uh, principle of giving it certainly runs from the Old Testament right through the New Testament. Uh, that is my view on the whole matter, and I believe that Christians should give sacrificially. I think they should give cheerfully, and I do feel that they should not feel constrained by just giving a tithe. Uh, I think that that's a matter between them and the Lord, etc., etc. That's why we talk 
tithes and offerings because in our church it's not just the, the tithe that is helping the church but there are a lot of people who give towards missions which is something completely different uh, and, and I'm not too sure if we could do both if we didn't have the extra offering given to missionaries. We, I think we send out maybe close to $2,000 every month just to missionaries. And we don't have a large church. But that's our mandate, going to all the world and preach the gospel. If we can't send somebody, we help to support somebody who's carrying the glad tidings. And we support missionaries as far as Moldova, uh, etc., um, South America, in the Caribbean, Asia, uh, in Lebanon. Uh, and that's what we see as our mission. So while there's no clear... Um, mandate in the New Testament that you must tithe. The principle of giving sacrificially and cheerfully is in the in the New Testament. And clearly, I would ask Christians to bear in mind: uh, Should we be stingier under grace than under law? That is all I would say on that that particular matter. Hey, while you've been answering that, a listener sent in a follow-up question. Are individuals required to tithe? Is it mandatory in the New Testament? Well, I just said that. There's no, there's no, <coughs> there's no, <coughs> there's no um, mandated statement in the Bible in, in, in regards to that. Uh, however, I would say to you is that if you have joined a church, and this is part of their policy, and there are churches, I think the Seventh-day Adventists, you have to tithe. It's a mandated type of thing like that. Um, I don't see why if you going into a church and you find that offensive, I wouldn't I wouldn't join the church. Uh, but at the same time, don't go and join the church and then create a, a whole total confusion and and and, uh, and try to disrupt the, the, the whole the whole matter. Um, if you don't think it is proper, find another church where you think it is it, you, you, more in line with your, your way of thinking. But you're not there to disrupt um, the ministry because you don't hold to this this particular. I remember this in a lot of our churches. Uh, people were taught certain teachings in connection with giving, doctrine, etc., etc. Some of those things um, is almost virtually impossible to change until that generation moves on to something else. So you don't, it's not there to disrupt everything, unless it's a major doctrinal issue that could cause people to go away from the faith. That is another issue altogether. But there's some things that you'll find in your church that um, if you find that it's going to lead to disrupting unnecessary, it's not a real major doctrinal issue, find another church. Your job is not there to destroy the church and create confusion in the church and uh, destabilize the ministry. That's not your whole purpose. You're supposed to work together to accomplish the Lord's work. Another listener sends in, Is it advisable for individuals to have children in this time period where things are getting drastically tough? Well, look, if you find, <clears throat> if you find, um, if you check the, I think we did something on that recently, one of the things that God wanted out of marriage was a godly seed. And I don't think that, is, as a matter of fact, we need more godly seed today than we ever needed it. So the excuse that things are bad, therefore we should not have children, I don't, I don't buy into that narrative. In every single bad situation in the New Testament, uh, in the Old Testament as well, God raised up someone that was born for that purpose. Moses is a classic example. So I don't think we should use the example, the, the excuse that the world is getting so terribly bad, therefore we shouldn't have children. Uh, I think we should pray about our children and ask God to help us to raise up, uh, I would say a deliverer per se but a man of God who would actually begin to uh, have some influence to turn back the tide uh, at the world in which we're living. So, um, But that's a personal matter between you and your wife, but I don't think you should use the condition of the world as an excuse because we're supposed to be salt of the earth. If you're telling me we don't need salt, we don't need light, 
and we've got all the light and all the salt that we need. We don't know how long this world is going to last. Uh, it looks to me that it's this is the terminal generation. But again, that's based on uh, my particular view of what is happening. But we don't know. We don't know when the Lord is going to come back. Is He going to? Are we going to experience some kind of a repentance? Uh, and, and God holds back his wrath because that's the only thing that can save us right now repentance and revival nothing else can save us uh, I mentioned on Sunday in my sermon 40 days shall Nineveh be destroyed and that was God's determination that within 40 years he destroyed Nineveh but yet from the king right down to even the animals uh, put on sackcloth and repented and God held back that destruction for another hundred years. So it's possible that God would uh, intervene and and withhold his wrath uh, if people would come to a point of repentance and revival. But we don't know. And we just got to trust the Lord and believe the Lord is is able. And um, life is in God's hand. Do we not believe that? Is he not the one that gives life and takes life? Is he not the one? So if he gives us a child, what are we supposed to assume? That he didn't want the child to be born? I think when we apply biblical principles, not just the the idea of looking at the world, look at biblical principles, uh, I think we would have a much more clearer understanding of of our role uh, today and what is our function and not get caught up with the whole situation that it is. No matter how dark the world is, it needs light. And uh, God uses the light and that light comes to the believer. You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Uh, And that's what they need. We need more salt. We need more light. We don't need less light and less salt. And the idea that you would not want to have children, you're reducing light, and you're reducing the salt. That doesn't make any sense to me, period. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, a live interactive call-in program. We've already had a number of questions come in. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have sent in questions. Continue to do so. If you want to call and ask your question live on the air, you can call 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Yeah, I want to say something, Nathan. Look, rather than we panic because of the situation the, 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 the world is in. I think that what Christians should try to do is to try to rebuild the home, get politicians who believe in the home in power. If you, um, and I feel that this is not the pastor's job, so I don't think the pastor should be running in politics, but we need some good, solid Christians in our churches who forget about the, uh, the, the idea that you can't be a politician if you're a Christian. That's not true. But you, you need to be in places of power where you can influence decision-making. Uh, and, uh, so, and, and also try to let your family, family be a model to other families and um, get involved in the families around you who are not uh, demonstrating any any proper family model. Uh, Connect with your neighbor, but uh, don't let the situation uh, cause you to want to withdraw and um, stop from engaging in in, in normal, having a family, etc., etc. That's not what God wants. He wants us to model to those who don't have what a family is supposed to be. The question that has come in from Antigua. Good night, Pastor Murphy. What are your thoughts on divorce as a Christian? Well, I, I've mentioned that before, but quickly let me just say this. Uh, there are two biblical grounds for divorce, uh, only two biblical grounds. One has to do with infidelity. Now, again, it doesn't mean because a person has been unfaithful in a relationship that it automatically means a marriage should end. There should always be some regard to forgiveness and rebuilding the life, etc., etc. But any time there is adultery within a marriage, it automatically breaks the union and destroys the oneness. 
and the innocent party has a biblical ground for divorce. Uh, but again, as I mentioned, the, the interplay of forgiveness should be there. If a person keeps repeatedly practicing infidelity, I would not encourage the perpetuation of the marriage. You are endangering your your life, the innocent partner, partner and uh, there are 24 STDs out there, and some of them are very, very serious, and they're not, they're killers. And some of them, even though they're not killers, they make you live a very miserable life because you've got to keep medication because to break out again and you've got to keep medication and it has tremendous side effects so uh, I am not for reckless uh, um, sexuality by a, a person who is married and um, practicing infidelity and uh, telling the wife you know you know just keep going back no I'm not for that uh, that's not how God intended us to live that's what God intended marriage to be the other uh, basis of divorce is abandonment when a person leaves the relationship and goes off and doesn't want anything about the relationship, that's called abandonment, and the Bible gives a base, a base for that as well. Um, but I would say this, a lot of the divorce is happening today, in my judgment, for two reasons. Number one, I really think the, the, the big problem is that people are not doing any kind of premarital counseling. They're going into the marriage, and they don't know what to expect. They don't know what marriage is about. They don't know about the roles in marriage. They don't know. They don't deal with dealing with the finance. They have complete personality differences. In laws, they are c- completely oblivious how these are going to affect marriage. All people think about today, in my judgment, seem to be that let me jump into bed and everything will work out. That's a myth. One of the greatest myths. If that were true, there would be no divorce, hmm. right? But that's a myth. And uh, so I think that. And the other thing I think that is really eating the marriage, and I keep making it, is pornography. There's no question today that that has destroyed more marriage than perhaps any other thing. It's a major, major, major problem. Uh, those are the two things that, that I think is really important. Two questions that have come in from listeners. Again, thank you to all who are sending in these questions. Continue to do so. If you have a question, most likely there is someone else or many other people who have a similar question, and you are benefiting yourself and them by asking your question. Pastor, what about the scenario where I was married before I was saved? I then divorced my spouse. She didn't? I was married. Uh-huh. Uh, both of them were unsaved. On, on okay. Uh, and they got married. I divorced my ex. I then got saved. And my ex, who's not saved, wants to get back together and get remarried. How does that reconcile with not being unequally yoked? That is a situation I uh, very seldom have ever come into. So you were not married, you were not saved, you got married, you divorced, now you're saved, your ex is not saved and he wants to get back to marry. Um, my judgment, my problem I'm having here is a believer married and unbeliever. That's the problem mm-hmm. I'm having here. Uh, and trying to, to reconcile that in my thinking along with the idea of what marriage is all about. Uh, again, I don't know if there's been infidelity uh, that led to the divorce. I don't know that. Uh, if there was infidelity that led to divorce, clearly you had biblical grounds for it, so therefore you're legitimately divorced, and I would not recommend you going back to that situation. Uh so I don't know all the details. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I got to be very hesitant on giving counsel in this matter. If I knew a little bit more uh, what happened to cause the marriage in the first case, to, did you have legitimate grounds for, for, for divorcing your husband? If you did, 
you had a legitimate divorce and I wouldn't recommend you go back to him, um, etc. That that would be my first thought, right? So I, I can't, uh, but until I get further details, I wouldn't be able to, to um, fully give you counsel on this matter unless I know what caused the divorce in the first case. The other thing is, is, is this, you know, um, even if you were going to go back into remarriage with him, uh, there is a clear uh, by biblical principle that teaches where you that if your husband divorce you, you, you the, the, and you what she, I don't she ever got remarried. No, it no, doesn't no. mention. Just says okay, I okay, divorced okay, my then. ex. Yeah, yeah. No, I look at the other biblical principle. If you a person a husband divorce a woman, she goes and marries somebody else. Mm-hmm. The husband dies, and now she's single. The Bible makes it very clear that she should not. The husband know that she divorced should not should not go back together. God calls it an abomination, uh, etc. So that's not applicable there. So the main thing for me would be to know what caused the original uh, demise of the marriage. That would be a factor that would be borne in mind relative to counsel whether or not you should go back with a person. Another question that has come in. Pastor, I faithfully give my tithe at my church, and I see the blessing of the Lord. At my church, we have an envelope that we put the tithe in, and on the back of the envelope, there are sections for missions and other projects. Does this mean that I can choose which my tithe goes toward? No, I don't feel that that is, uh, I don't think that, when you give to the church, the church has should make that decision for how the tithe is used. Uh, again, I don't know your church. I don't know if your church has a missions part of it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in our church, our missions is separate from our tithes and our tithing. Uh, but I would not. I do not think that you have the authority to decide how that is going to be done because the tithes get brought into the, the, the Lord's house. I think the leaders of the church. Uh, should decide on that how it's going to be. is it I don't know what the needs of the church would be but you've got missions what else was mentioned it just says missions and other projects yeah yeah. normally the ties of the church is normally used for the pastor the upkeep of the building um, in our church is you for the help with the youth work youth ministry anything the church the, the youth ministry needs uh, even if there is a, a deficiency in the missions funds uh, the church would also supplement that and, and, and give towards that but generally speaking and then um, there are other things that are involved that the, the, the tithe is involved and if you do um, vocation Bible school if you do camping um, those are things that are involved if you have a, uh, other ministries that your church might have like a one program all of that comes out of the tithes and the offering. But I don't feel that um, you as an individual should have that kind of a choice. If you want to give towards missions, you give towards missions. You know, above, beyond Above, beyond tithe. that, yeah. Okay. But the tithe is, is required. If I don't know, look, I don't know how you can support a church and a pastor and other ministries if... Uh, you don't have people tithing. I don't see it. even in the Caribbean. It's very, very, very difficult. And I will tell you this: that the uh, the recent uh, COVID has affected a lot of churches in terms of their giving. And I don't know how some of these churches are going to survive in terms of being able to uh, to, to maintain the ministry. Uh, so it's it's very important not to not to think that way uh, in that regard. We have a caller on the air from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, Mr. Williams. Hi, good evening, Mr. Williams. How are you doing, sir? Good night. How can we help you? Yeah, I've got some of two questions, please. Sure. Remember uh, in John chapter 4, when Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, go and call my husband, and he asked my husband, uh-huh. and he 
just tell her that she had five husbands and the one she lived with is not her husband. Right. So what she do? She divorced and married again five times or whatever. You mean the woman? Yeah. Yeah, it's clearly that uh, from what is happening, she seemed to be a woman who is looking for love. And every man she meets has broken her heart. And there are a lot of women out there like that. So she tries number one, it didn't work out. She goes to number two, and then she goes to number three. She's now in number six. So this is the woman, really, whose life has been broken, completely broken, because she's put her trust in men who have let her down on every occasion. For the first time in her life, she met the real man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't there to use her to say, I want to be number seven. He's there to redeem her, to bring her out of that catastrophe. Uh, so it is very clear that she uh, is a person who um, had um, these five different persons. Um, that seemed to be the biblical teaching there, uh, as what uh, you find in that particular passage. So, so I tell me now, in all that divorce and unmarried, what did the party? What is what? In all that divorce and unmarried, she was the guilty party. No, she's not the guilty party. He's not dealing with the whole question of divorce here, you know. That's not the debate he's dealing with. She was he's, just he's dealing with a woman who's crushed again and again by men who abused her and used her. That's what he's dealing with. There's no teaching here about whether he approved it or not. That's not the teaching. The, take, the, the context is all about a woman who has been uh, brutally uh, traumatized by men who have used her for, for uh, gone through six men different hand right now. She's on number six. And uh, the Lord meets her, and again, she's looking for something because she thirsts. It's very, very clear that she's thirsting for something. Like all women, everybody's looking for love, looking for meaning and purpose, etc., etc. She found, f for the first time in her life, uh, someone who doesn't want something from her, who wants to give her something. It's called eternal life. And this is what made her go into the village and said, Come, let me show you a man who told me all things. And of course, uh, she has. Uh, from that moment, she turns her life around. Now, we are not given the details of what happens afterwards. That's not the, 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 what we're concerned about. The important thing is that even though she's been to and hurt so many times, there was yet a salvific message for her that she could be healed, she could be forgiven, she can be pardoned. And our Lord would have told her what she told him, woman caught in adultery, go down and sin no more. But it's not in the text itself, and we must not read that into the text. What the text is about is meeting Christ and having your thirst slaked. Uh, by the living water, that's the, the, the theme there. But what happened afterwards, we're not given the details. Okay, then. What's the other question? I don't think that. Uh, in the Bible, it that the Lord said that my spirit shall not always try with men. Isn't it? Did that do what you said? My spirit shall not always try with yeah, men. Yeah, that, what, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, so at, at what time... Well, I don't think anybody can know that. In the case of Noah, it's 120 years. That's a long, long, long time. He gave them enough time to repent. And again, the sad thing about it, when the whole ark was finished after 120 years, the people have become so indifferent, so unbelieving, that no one enters the ark. Think about that for just a moment, mm. right? But the Lord is patient and long-suffering to us where that none should perish. So we don't know exactly how long God tarries with a man, and how God waits on a man, but we don't know one thing. It's not an indefinite time period. There are times when God gives people over. Read Romans chapter 1 when it talks about what we experience today. We're seeing this globalization of homosexuality and lesbianism. Read Romans chapter 1. That is an act, an indication that God has given up 
on these people. That's what Paul explains, that people turn, women turn to women, men turn to women, after God had given them up. And I think one of the clearest indication of the moral state of our world is the fact that this is becoming so pervasive. It's a very clear sign that God has removed restraint off their lives and let them do what they want. And uh, when God's spirit stops thriving is when a man is now capable of doing the worst form of evil. And that's where we are today. There's no way you can explain how people can accommodate little children that you would give them drugs to turn them into a male and, 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 and to... Ch- and ha- that, that, that is cruel. I can't think of anything more cruel than that. There's nothing more evil than imagine that you would allow a, a homosexual to adopt a little boy into his family. That's evil of the worst form. And that's a clear sign that the Lord has removed his restraints and allowed this, mor- this moral corruption now to, to begin to take over. It's a clear sign that he has withdrawn himself, withdrawn his presence. Uh, but we don't know exactly individually when that ends. But I'll tell you what will happen to a person like that, generally speaking. They'll come to a point where they're very conscious that God no longer speaks to them. They're going to church, nothing impacts them, nothing at all impacts them. They can hear Jesus can come and preach to them, nothing would impact them. They're just bland, existing. Uh, I think you would, they would become conscious of that. Okay, okay sir. You too, sir. You too. Thank bless. you very much for your call, Brother Williams. Continue to encourage others to listen to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. You can also join us on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can listen to the program, watch behind the scenes, and also comment your questions right there on your device, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. The phone line is now open and available. If you have a question, you can call 268-462-7420, or you can send your question via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Pastor, we have another question that has come in. Should couples have a joint bank account, and why? Look, um, this is an area that needed to be settled before you got married. How are you going to handle your finances? That's why I said premarital counsel is so vitally essential before people get into marriage. This is a matter you should sit down and, and discuss. What is biblical oneness? What does it mean, right? How can I um, surrender myself to my husband or my partner? The most intimate uh, part of life uh, so I can have union at that level, but I can't have union at the financial level. Something is wrong there, to be very honest yeah. with you. Definitely wrong there, right? But I think that this is something that should be settled before you get into marriage. You need to decide how, how you're going to handle finances. If the, both are working, what do we do? Um, do I act independent? Do you act independent? Uh, how do we share the responsibility of the home uh, in terms of groceries, in terms of paying bills? How, how is that going to work? Right? Is my wife or my husband more capable financially? Uh, you know, you are a, 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 a person who just can't save money. It just runs through the fingers. Maybe your wife is a person who is very, very frugal and she has skills in managing or whatever it is. Again, there's nothing wrong in giving, let her handle that part of the, the, the matter. You delegate that to her, right? Um, so I, I, uh, um, I feel, quite frankly, that it's a wise thing if it can happen, that the both of you have a joint account. 
Um, I don't see why that should not be. However, I would say to you that if you have a husband or another partner who is wasting their money, uh, withdrawing when they want, and there's no, in other words, you just can't seem to have anything left there, I think it comes to a point where you have to put your foot down and make a tough decision about maybe uh, giving an allowance as opposed to letting the whole thing be open to the person. Depends on the on the situation. But I think that that is something you need to, to settle before. Um, uh, I, I don't, I, again, I, I, I like the joint idea. Yeah. Um, I have a joint account with my wife. I can, I, quite frankly, she going to take anything. My wife doesn't take anything, to be honest with you, uh, you know. But she, I, but she has it. I, she knows the number, whatever it is. I think it is good. It shows trust, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I feel that it'd be a good thing to do that. But there's nothing wrong if you have a joint account to, to sit down and decide that you also want to have a little account for yourself, and he has a little account for himself. That. It has to do with personal needs. I think that is also legitimate. Thank you very much to the individual who sent in that question. Pastor, we have a caller no longer on the line. Go ahead and call back, 268-462-7420. Call screener will put you on hold, and then I will pick you up and put you on the air with Pastor Murphy. I want to say something, Nathan. That lady is still on my mind about uh, the words who divorce. Yeah. And then I would like to say uh, to her, Christ has changed you. So you're a different person. It's not likely that this person has really changed. So I think you're going into a situation where you're assuming. Uh, uh, and I would I would caution that person very, very, very careful to make sure that whatever led to the divorce that there is clear, clear evidence, if you're going in that direction, that there is some transformational change in the person. But people don't normally change. And divorce people, by the way, the second marriage uh, breaks up much sooner than the first marriage. So it's not a good thing to be uh, going back into that, that kind of a situation. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.06 have a question that has come in. By the way, thank you very much for all the questions that are coming in. We really appreciate it. I see the phone ringing here, so as soon as they get passed through, I will put them on hold, or I'll put them on the air with you, Pastor. I'll put the other one on hold here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, thank you for calling That's Truth, and please go ahead with your... Can you please turn your radio down? Hello? Hello? Yes? We're listening. Hello, why is it? Yes, what? you're on the air. What can we do for you? Um, uh, about the man. The man that's about marriage and so. Yeah, we, we are... Uh, We're listening. This is Nathan and Pastor Murphy. Go ahead. Because... That man there married, and then he had to fuck his wife because they didn't marry. And he didn't tell me, he had to come back to the wife because he's a Christian now, and then he can't let the wife. He's not a Christian. He can't let the wife. No. And he has to come back to the wife. But if he don't fuck his wife, then God will fuck with him because he's a Christian now. No, she is a Christian, but he is not a Christian. Christian, no, she is a Christian. She said she's a Christian, but he's not a yeah, Christian. But the wife is not a Christian. 
you, it's it's backwards from that. The, the wife is now a Christian. So therefore, um, we have to forgive and then come back until death departs. You know, Christ said until death departs. You know. And there they was no Christian when they married. On the very part, doesn't matter whatever. But he's come a Christian, and then he had to come back. Yeah, but but I, if I may add there, look, uh, marriage is not just for Christians. Until people's marriage are viewed the same way uh, in Scripture. In other words, once you're married, you're married before God. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. The whole question is that the divorce. Were there legitimate biblical grounds for divorce? To my mind, that's a crucial matter. Why did they divorce? Uh, if that is not settled, I, I, I don't think I can give counsel apart from knowing what led to the divorce. That is crucial for me. But she claims that she is now a Christian. The husband, the former husband, is not a Christian, but he seems to have interests in getting back together. That's what she mentioned, and she was asking what 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 would be the situation there. My argument would be, what about the first divorce? Was there legitimate biblical grounds for divorce or not? Okay, that would be the main issue with me. Thank you very much for the call. And when you do call in, please make sure that your radio is turned down. Just makes things simpler to be able to hear clearly. Thank you very much for those who have called in. Thank you for those who have sent in their questions, whether it's via Facebook or whether it is via WhatsApp or text message. A message that's come in. Good night, Pastor Murphy. Can you please explain Ephesians 6? Chapter 6, verses 3 to 6 for me. And let me read those for you. Again, if you are at home and you want to follow along in your own Bible, we're in Ephesians 6, verses 3 to 6. It says, That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Well, I don't know what is the difficulty with the passage in terms of explanation. Uh... Um, the first verse, read that for me again, Nathan. Yeah, verse 3, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. That's right after honor. That that talks about parents, children honoring the parents, and there's a a promise in Scripture that if you honor your parents, uh, God would extend your life and longevity. You know, that's not a a carte blanche promise. That's a general promise, and people who normally honor their parents, that's the case. We know people who honor their parents who don't live long, but on a general principle, if you honor and respect your parents and and, uh, do proper respect to them, God has promised a blessing that he would uh, prolong your life. What's the other part of it now, the other one? Fathers. Uh, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, again, that means you don't irritate your children unnecessarily, and uh, there are several ways you can exasperate your children. For example, you're trying to live your goals through your children, and um, a lot of people get upset about children with their homework and schoolwork because some of the children, to be honest with you, some kids, uh, we like to think our kids are super kids. All of us are very average, to be very honest, including myself. But we're trying to perhaps have a super kid, and they're not a super kid. They don't have the the, the, the skill and whatever it is. And that sometimes when they put so much pressure on the child to achieve, 
the child realizes that, you know, I, I, I'm not made for this, but you, they're pushing. That's one way you can exasperate a child, expecting too much from the child in terms of education, etc., etc. The other thing is being too harsh with a child. Uh, there are parents who are, like, very legalistic. Children can't go any place. They can't do anything. They can't go and play at home with any, with anybody else. They're locked in, basically. Uh, you know, and, and and children like to have camaraderie, friendship, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And being too harsh can also exasperate a child. So there are a lot of different ways. But the point is there. Don't try to irritate the child and uh, frustrate the child. Uh, that's what is teaching there in that passage. Um, and then go on. The last two verses are in relation to masters and servants. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Yeah, again, you've got to understand the social situation in New Testament times. You're living in a time where the vast majority of the Roman Empire, now talking about Caribbean Empire, African Empire, the Roman Empire, European Empire, uh, Europeans were slaves. The vast 60%, I think, of the Roman Empire were slaves. Uh, most Christians in the church were slaves. And uh, clearly, this is a social economic system that's in place. Christianity is not a revolutionary uh, take up arms and destroy the system because it's not living according to the biblical principles. Christianity is about changing society by changing the individual. So what the, uh, Paul is instructing these people right here, you're, you're, you're slaves. Uh, you're working for a, a person who's your master. Do your best. And when he says with fear and trembling, by the way, it's the same thing that Paul talks about when he said he was among you with fear and trembling. In other words, uh, be very, very sensitive as a Christian. And why Paul said I was with you in fear, Paul was afraid that he would offend the Corinthians in such a way that the gospel would be uh, discounted, that he would uh, in some way jeopardize the the gospel, uh, etc. The same thing with the slave. The, 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 the Christian who was a slave in Paul's day, want to make sure that he wins his master. He wins the slaves. He wins other people to the Lord. His concern is about uh, the salvation of those people. So even though he's a slave and he may resent being a slave, he must not in the same time uh, uh, act in such a way that he destroys the witness of Christianity. The slave was a sinner. The master was a sinner. The slave needed salvation. The master needed salvation. Both need salvation. And the, the, the person who is now saved has got to understand that um, the, the master is a depraved, sinful, selfish person like he was. So what he wants now is to transform the, the master so he becomes a Christian. But how does he do that? Taking up arms, um, maybe stealing from no 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 Paul said that's not the way we Christians do it we transform by being a model and being Christ like and we are able to live under difficulty uh, with the hope of transforming the individual so that the society and that's exactly what Christianity did by the way in the long term see there are a lot of people who uh, try to judge the church and judge the Christian church but the fact that they didn't raise up arms and, and call for revolution and so on that's not the purpose of the church the purpose of the church is to redeem all humanity, good, bad, and different, and to do that by modeling the Christian life, which is not a life of violence, but a life of peace, a life of faith, a life of love. And we will endure uh, hardship and evil uh, for the sake 
of those who even do us evil, so that they too will get into the kingdom of God. This whole world is not about planet Earth. This whole world is about preparing ourselves for eternity. This is a preamble to eternity. And we must not only be concerned about the guy who is good to us, but the guy who is lost, the murder, the rapist, the, the pedophile, the, the homosexual, the lesbian. We must be concerned that now, they are repulsive to me, quite frankly, in terms of their behavior, but they have a soul. Yeah. They have a soul. We must be concerned about that. So uh, Paul is writing here saying, to, you know, don't take up, take up arms and take knives and stab them. No, no, no. That's not how you do it in Christianity. That's what the world wants Christianity to be. See? And by the way, could I say this? The world can only respond that way today because you've had 2,000 years of Christian history. And the principle of equality, uh, the principle of equity, the principle of, of love, the principle of um, worth, that was only established by Christianity. Evolution can never do that. Evolution is survival of the fittest. Evolution justifies everything that's happened in history. Christianity uh, is the only faith that can allow people who even believe in evolution to turn around now and begin to respond in a way because they know that we're all equal before God, we all have worth before God, and God intended man to be free. That knowledge is only there because of Christianity. Without Christianity, uh, there would not be all of this kibosh that, uh, that people are doing in connection with and trying to make the Christian faith look as though it is, is failed. No, the church, the world, and the freedom we have today is a result of Christianity. You take the Muslim world. Yeah. Look at it today, right? Look at the women. A woman is is, is uh, she doesn't wear her scarf. A certain way, sure, a little bit more over here. She's beaten and put in a thing and, and killed. She's property. Uh, and and, and uh, etc. And she, in Saudi Arabia, some women can't even drive. You know, and, and we in the West are, <laughs> we don't know what we have, and we are trying to destroy the very thing that gave us the freedom we've got. It's a paradox of life. Uh, what is happening in the West? We 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 are turning away from Christianity, the very thing that gave us all the freedoms and liberties that we have. And you know what's happening to us? We're swiftly falling uh, to the point where we are actually destroying our, ourselves. And the West has surrendered Christianity, and the West is now lost, not knowing the, the whole system. Uh, they, they just uh, have no basis any longer. Uh, and that's where there's so much uncertainty, so much confusion. Uh, it's, it's making us realize, quite frankly, we, every time I look at what's going on, I'm trying to figure out, what's all of this craziness? How did we get here? Because when you, when you go away from truth, you're always going to error and confusion, and there's no standard to call you back to. So you're lost trying to find a way to no, no establish some new foundation. What foundation you can establish right now? That's where the West is. It's tumbling, tumbling fast. I've got a question in relation to this Ephesians passage. It talks about servants and masters, and I know that's not terminology that we use in today's uh, social structure. We don't operate on that. We have employees and employers. But is the their biblical principle that we can apply to our current social uh, yeah. practices? The, the biblical principle here in Ephesians chapter 6 is the principle that would be applied to the workplace. Okay. Where the, the employer, the person you're working for. And Christians who are working for a person, uh, quite clearly, you must show respect. That's why the word fear and trembling, Paul is talking about. You have to be so careful as a believer 
that you don't want in any way to cause your Christianity to be looked down upon or in any way disparage God or devalue what Christianity is about. And that has to do with your performance, your work ethics. You can't have people who are Christians in a workplace, they're talking the same nasty stories with the, at, at break. They're, they're supposed to have one hour for lunch. They're taking two hours for lunch. They come up to work. They're supposed to be there at 8.30. They're coming at 9 o'clock. They're supposed to leave at 4 o'clock. They're leaving at 3 o'clock. They don't work on Fridays. And yet they, 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 they talk about all this kind of Christianity. Uh, so it, it applies here. You must try to be the best worker you can be in your workplace. That's what the biblical principle is here. And the idea of being obedient and respectful uh, to the person who's your manager. This idea of sassing and answering back and being all this kind of thing, that's not, that's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible is talking about. We are to be models and examples in our homes, in our work, on the playing field, uh, in the boardroom, wherever we are, we carry our Christianity, and it affects how we respond and how we act where we are as Christians. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.20. Thank you again to each of you who have sent in questions. I have a number of questions in front of me still, so if you have sent in your question and you haven't heard it yet, please be patient. I'm sharing them with Pastor Murphy in the order that they come in. With regards to tithes, I think the church can use some of the money they received to help unfortunate among them and not just seldomly use it to renovate the church and for missionaries. No, sorry, that's it? Yeah, yeah that, that's correct. Uh, we have a uh, what you call a care program. Benevolent. Benevolent program. Uh, and I think the we normally would get groceries and we would uh, give to people, uh, especially people in the church, people outside the church. Sometimes that is donated. Sometimes we we buy it for ourselves using church money. Um, uh, what was the other thing that was mentioned there? Uh, it's not just use it for missionaries and renovating the church. Yeah, yeah. So it's our 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 tithe is used for a number of different different purposes as well. We have people walk off the road sometimes and who have a legitimate need. And once I'm aware of the need and I think it's legitimate, where does the money come from? Uh, we have a fund there. We uh, well, not a fund. We have a certain amount. Anything I would ask somebody, you know, let's let's help this guy with lunch or whatever it is. I've actually paid for it once or twice out of myself. But normally speaking, uh, a situation like that, we try to meet the need. So the church, the church is not just about renovating the church and, and stuff like that. I mean that that kind of part of it. But if it's a legit, oh, the other thing that we do that every year, uh, we normally for Christmas we normally give some kind of a gift to all of our shut-ins. Uh, in a diff- that, that there's something going on during the the whole year in terms of uh, meeting their needs at the camp, but also especially on Christmas. And again, all that money comes from the tithes and offerings. So I agree with you that it, it's not just about the pastor or just not about the church building. Uh, there are a lot of other things that the, that fund is used for in regards to the, uh, and it should be. If the money is there, it should be used to help in many other ways as well. Question from a listener. Should someone marry a divorced person? Well, it depends on what if the divorced person had a legitimate basis for divorce. It all boils down to... <laughs> this is why it's so crucial to, <clears throat> to, to understand that the two biblical grounds of divorce, infidelity and abandonment, okay? Um, I would say to people, for example, if I might say this, that when a person is abandoned, because the person has abandoned you, it doesn't mean that you're rushing to, to marry, saying, well, he abandoned me, therefore he can get married. For conscience sake, I would say to those people, wait a while. 
wait a while because normally it, the, the instructions given in the book of uh, Corinthians chapter 7 is if the unsafe person abandoned and, and leaves a safe person, okay? It doesn't give you any instruction if it's a believer that abandons the marriage. So that's why I say to you, if it's a person, two Christians who are married, one uh, decides that they I know of a situation like that right now, by the way, uh, where a pastor was uh, teaching at a college in one of the islands and um, also pastoring a church, and his wife just abandoned him, run off to the States. Uh, I don't want to have the, you know, I, I know that's it. So that has to be settled. But I would say if you wait a while, if you, your conscience is bothering a little bit on the matter, there's always infidelity involved whilst there's estrangement. And that, again, if you don't believe that you have grounds for, as a basis of abandonment, infidelity allows you to have that 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 uh, basis of divorce. All I'm saying to you that, for me, what matters to me is my conscience, that my conscience is governed by Scripture. And your conscience, too, must be governed by Scripture. So it's not you're not just going to find an easy way out in a situation like this. You want to do the right thing, and you want your conscience to be at ease. The only way your conscience can be at ease biblically is if you follow the biblical principles on these matters. A question that has come in. From uh, what was the, the question there? I want to answer that. Should you, uh, should a Christian want marry a divorced oh, person? Yeah, yeah. My problem the question would be: Is that person legitimately divorced? Uh, that would be my first thing to find out what caused the divorce in the first case. Who is who's guilty? Who's responsible? And if they are illegitimately divorced, I would not recommend you going to a marriage. And by the way, as I keep saying. A second marriage doesn't last as long as your, as your second, as your first marriage. So chances are, if his marriage was not successful on the first occasion, it is very, very uh, possible that it will not be successful the second time. Not in every case, but that's that's the general um, statistics reveal that if you can't survive your first marriage, you're not likely to survive the second marriage. There's some some problem there that um, is a deficiency that, unless it is dealt with, uh, would result in in divorce. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at org, On Facebook at the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, you can click on the Facebook Live video feed. And maybe you're listening to this program as a rebroadcast on Saturday afternoon. You can still send in your questions via WhatsApp or text message, and we will answer them Lord willing, the following Tuesday when we have a live episode, you can WhatsApp or text your questions to 268-782-1454. If you're listening live on Tuesday, you can call in at 268-462-7420 to ask your question live on the air. And if you are listening to the podcast and you, maybe you've just tuned in and you're saying, I'm not familiar with the podcast. A podcast is we've just taken the audio file from a previous episode, put it out there on the Internet, and you can download it. You can listen to it at your own convenience. The best way to get to it is to go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large photo that you see. It's a microphone right in the middle of the screen. You see a circle that says podcast. Click on that. The top podcast that is listed there is That's Truth. And you can click on the archive and see all 200 plus previous episodes. They're categorized by different topics. So if you're struggling or wanting to study on a particular topic, we probably have a podcast that deals with that topic. But if you are listening on the podcast, maybe you're in Australia right now and you're listening to the podcast, 
please, you can send in your question also via WhatsApp or text message to one 782 1454 and we will answer your question in the following episode. We have a WhatsApp that has come in from Antigua. Good night. Exodus 23.19 speaks about first fruits. Is this still applicable in this time? The reason I ask is, I had an experience in a particular church here in Antigua where the congregation was expected to bring their first fruits in the first month, January. It was expected that church members who get paid weekly must give their first week's wage as their first fruit. Church members who got paid monthly must give their full first month's pay as their first fruits. This is difficult for me to accept because this was my January salary and I have to pay rent, take care of my kids, and pay bills. I asked the pastor if I could give one week of the month's salary instead and I was told no, it must be all because it's the first salary of the year. I did not give all because I did, because if I did, I would have to wait until the end of February for another paycheck. I was labeled as robbing God. Is this biblical? I, those kind of situations, these kinds of, kind of bother me so much. I, I don't know how pastors could uh, actually implement a system of this nature within the New Testament church. There's no indication anywhere in the New Testament that you have to follow this uh, Exodus 23 verse 19 reference about the first fruits uh, and I, I really think this is unfortunate that that is happening um, that, but there's no biblical grounds for it whatsoever I do feel though uh, I must say this if I was a farmer for example or if I had started a business etc uh, I think it would be a good token to the Lord and this is volunteer this is not anybody pressuring me to do it that I would want him to have some of uh, first fruits of what I like, you know. If, if like for example, we used to have harvest at one time, we stopped it because nobody, nobody in church normally does farming, but people used to uh, bring things and like fruit, uh, the harvest, and then we will give them to the poor, etc. The, the idea was good, uh, but you know, but we realized that, uh, and it was called giving the first fruits as well. But nobody was planting, nobody was actually doing it, etc., etc. So I don't think that this particular reference you got there <coughs> clearly it has no reference to New Testament church. The principle is good, but again, it's a matter of being it's a voluntary thing that you could, nobody should pressure you to give your first week's wages or your first week's first month's salary. I don't know how any pastor can do that with any kind of conscience. Uh, I mean, if you know that people got a but they, they got home, they got mortgage, they got family, they got whatever it is. Uh, to my mind, that is cruel. And I, I, I don't feel that you should be labeled uh, as was you were labeled there, that you're robbing God of that. It, it, it doesn't, uh, know what it said uh, in the Bible that you've robbed me of your first fruits, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's no basis for it in the New Testament. And this Old, this Old Testament principle is a voluntary principle if you want individually to do it, but there's no mandated principle in the, in the New Testament that talks about this matter, the first fruits. But I understand the principle of it uh, in the Old Testament, really to dedicate uh, to the Lord as a token to His supremacy, uh, the first fruits. But to, to impose this on, on, on people today, uh, there's no biblical ground for it whatsoever. And I don't feel that people should ever make those kind of statements. Um, if I... <laughs> 
those pastors, I don't know how they could sleep with a conscience, quite frankly. Eh? Those, <laughs> that would bother me so much that I asked a person to give all of his first month's salary. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody can do that. Uh, something is wrong there, and I think a lot of it is mercenary, and uh, I, I don't know how they get away with it because they wouldn't get away with it with me. But people just seem to just believe because a man wears a cloth, because he claimed to be a parcel or prophet, he can tell you anything, and you just do it. I'm just bamboozled uh, by the amount of biblical ignorance and the amount of um, um, needless uh, submission uh, without any balance at all in these matters. So, I, 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 so am, I, am I understanding you right, Pastor, to say that there are things that are done in the name of the church, in the name of Christianity, that are actually hindering Christianity? All over, all over, Nathan. How, however you turn on the, the radio, so seed. I am a Christian. I'm a pastor. I am so mad at that. I can't explain to people because everybody gets tarnished the same way. The church is going after people's money. The church is, is greedy. I understand why people think that way. Uh, for example, as well, Nathan, uh, why does a man need to have a million-dollar house? Why does he have to have, have the fanciest car? Uh, why would a pastor want to do things like that? Yeah. It conveys the wrong message to people, right? I'm offended when I hear this prosperity gospel and, you know, uh, <laughs> these people are going to face the judgment of God, and I have no doubt about it. A lot of them are totally fake. That's what I, totally fake. And I don't know why people don't wake up to understand that this is not biblical Christianity whatsoever it is. This is modern Christianity, but not biblical Christianity. Thank you for those who have sent in questions thus far throughout the program tonight. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420. If you want to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. We have a question that came in, and actually it came in before you mentioned sowing a seed. The question is, sowing a seed practice within the church is an issue that I am puzzled about. Can you bring clarification to this, please? There's, no, there's no biblical ground for it. All I would say to you, there's no, absolutely no biblical grounds for this teaching. This has actually come out of the uh, Word of Faith movement, the Pentecostal movement. Those are the type of people that, that uh, mislead the people. And the basic idea is this, right? You give to God to get. What kind of biblical principle is that? Eh? What kind of biblical principle is that? Um, so it's actually a, a greed uh, if you might call it Christian greed or apostate greed, whatever it is. But there's no biblical ground for it. You can't find it in the Bible. And it is just people parroting off something they've heard on the uh, uh, television. And a lot of it is coming out of TVN and and those those type of programs. And people buy into it. Uh, But there's no grounds for it. There's no biblical grounds for it whatsoever. You give to the Lord. The Lord blesses you. But you don't have to send send $500 to a man and you can get $5,000. What kind of... (laughs) That is... How can any Christian believe that? And here's my, uh, I want to say this, Nathan. The problem I find today is that outside certain circles who are strong biblicists, people are following the man and not the Bible. Hmm. And that's where the problem lies, right? My faith is not in the man. My faith must be in God and the Bible. I only uh, am part of a church and follow a church leader if he is following the Bible. If he's not following the Bible, he has no authority. 
But I find that people today are more wrapped up in the personality cult of the individual. And because they are glued to that individual and believe everything that individual says, uh, it's like he is a second God to them, a demigod. Anything he says is coming from God. That is bogus, total bogus. You need to follow him only as he follow the word. The word is authority over him. And, and people need to get back to the Bible. And if they get back to the Bible, a lot of this nonsense that's going on in Christianity will be seen for what it is. Total apostasy away from the faith and uh, humanistic teachings and false teaching entering. And and what Peter warns about, that these in the last days he talks about many who will do this thing for filthy lucre, greed. Uh, Peter warns that the, the final church age they the be mercenary preachers and pastors. The main thing they're concerned about is money, money, money. That's where we are today. Wake up. So if there are things that are done in the name of the church or even within the so-called church that is not biblical, Pastor, can you draw our attention to what do I have to do to become a Christian? For the listener that says, I want to know exactly what the Bible says so that I'm not misled. Look, Christianity offers a very basic, simple message. It explains that man is lost, he's a sinner before God, and he has alienated himself from God. Christianity says that that was a problem, a separation between man and God and man's sinful ways. Christianity teaches that God, in his mercy and his grace, reached out to man and made a provision through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in man's place, took all man's sin upon himself, and makes uh, forgiveness and pardon available to man so that man can become righteous in Christ. So he takes our sins, when we put our faith and trust, he forgives our sins, and then he takes his righteousness and puts it to our account. So when I get saved, I'm not only forgiven, I need forgiveness, but I need more than forgiveness to continue a relationship with God because I still have the sinful nature within me. So I need God to be able to deal with me on a day-to-day basis. God can only do that if he sees me in Christ. Uh, and that is where the, all a person needs to do to become a believer. He needs to have a sense of his sin before God, that he is guilty before God because of the evil and the thing that he's done. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convict that person that he needs uh, forgiveness and he is legitimately guilty before God. He comes before God, he asks for God's forgiveness, and he puts his faith and trust in Christ and what Christ did for him on the cross. And that is what salvation is. After he is saved... He knows should be part of a church because Christ has founded the church. But being a part of the church does not save him. He is saved and he then becomes part of the church. Being baptized does not save him. He is saved through faith in what Christ did on the cross. Baptism is a public proclamation to that person that he has died to his sinful ways and he's raised to newness of life and he's going to live that publicly before the world. That's what it's all about. He's not saved because he's confirmed. He's not saved because he is sprinkled when he's born as a baby and his sins is not washed away by water. It's washed away by the blood of Christ. And he must believe. So two things, repentance and faith is how we reconnect with God and how we get saved. And then do I have to join a church? 
I, it's, it's virtually impossible for me to conceive of a person who is truly saved who does not want to be part of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when you are saved, you want to be part of the body because a, a church is a, a, a member of a church is a member of the body of Christ. So you want to be part of the church. What would you say to the listener, though, that says, but Pastor Murphy, I've seen so much disgrace happen in the name of the church or even an individual who I used to follow, and now I'm just I'm turned off by the church. Look, I, I am cur- currently dealing with a situation quite similar, uh, where a person, uh, Nathan, all their life was brought up in this church, and then suddenly uh, this pastor is, uh, quite frankly, denying the Bible, uh, denying Christianity, uh, and, and he is advocating uh, a lifestyle that is contrary to the morality of Scripture and also the, the, the what monogamous marriage. And this this person is completely uh, traumatized. Could not believe that this has happened. They've left the church, and quite frankly, have got a distaste for any church now because of what has happened. But again, as I pointed out to the person, quite frankly, you don't throw the baby with the bath water. Christ hasn't done you anything. The Bible hasn't done you anything. What has done you wrong is the man has done you wrong. And your faith was not in the Bible and in Christ. It's in the man. So your problem is with the man. But there are many good churches in Antigua. Okay? And I said to that person, look, my suggestion to you is that don't abandon God. Visit churches You'll find a church where you see the Word of God is being preached and where people love each other, etc., etc. And uh, so don't abandon Christianity because of what has happened to you. The problem is not God, it's not the Bible. It's what the man has done to you. So that my, my suggestion there, uh, Nathan, would be um, visit churches. If I would, uh, look, the, the confusion that the people are whirling today, I understand why the confusion is there. So many different people saying things. So many different. I would say, take your Bible, Read your Bible, go into a church, listen to the preacher for a little while, visit, etc. See the attitude of the people, the atmosphere, etc., etc. And uh, as you visit, you'll hear things. And I keep mentioning this, Nathan. Is there a missions program? To my mind, it's a big thing, right? The church is there to reach the world. Church is not there to build a big empire and build a big church building, etc. That's not the purpose of the church. So I want to know if they're doing evangelism, or if they're doing um, um, uh, missions, etc. I also want to know if you know they have some kind to, to meet with help to help with the youth or something like that to help whatever it is. But the key thing here would be the teaching of the word and the fact that that teaching falls in line with biblical truth. That would be the guideline I would give. Biblical truth, the love of the people, and missions. To my mind, are the three um, legs on this tripod. Uh, I, I would say would be vitally important. I want to say a very big thank you to you for listening to That's Truth. I know sometimes we can just get focused on just answering questions and all, but I want to say thank you for taking time out of your Tuesday evening to listen to the program and encourage others to tune in. If you're being encouraged, if you're being taught, if you're being blessed, encourage others to tune in even if it's not to tonight's episode we've got about 20 25 minutes left excuse me about 20 minutes left in tonight's episode but make sure that next week you also encourage people to tune in we have a question from a caller or a comment that has come in moses said from the beginning it was god's will 
it was not God's will for divorce. The married couple should learn to forgive. The Bible said to forgive 70 times 7. I think we should learn to practice forgiveness. Yeah, I agree with that. That's why I say to you that divorce is not the first course. But that does not disallow that our Lord made it very clear that infidelity is a basis for divorce. When a person goes outside the marriage and gets involved with somebody else, you've broken the covenant. You've broken the oneness that is there. And this is not to be taken lightly. The immorality in the Caribbean and all over the world is not to be taken lightly in the church. Paul says, don't let fornication be mentioned even once among you. The Bible expects purity. It expects fidelity within marriage. And Christ himself would not want the innocent person who is faithful within a relationship to endure the agony of repeated infidelity and et cetera, et cetera. Men need to keep their pants on. And uh, that's the reality uh, that needs to be taught, taught, taught to men in, in the Caribbean and, and globally. We cannot treat women the way we're treating them. And by the way, women are becoming just as loose and just as uh, uh, unfaithful as men are. So they too need to keep their panties on. If you have a question, you can send it in via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. We've only got 15 minutes left in this episode, so make sure you hurry up and send it in. 268-782-1454. Thank you for all the questions that have come in so far tonight. You can also call and ask your question live on the air, 268 268- 462-7420. I was asked recently, what would happen if I called to be put on the air? Let me give you a little preview. You call that number, 268-462-7420. Marianne will answer the phone. She will get your general idea of the question that you are asking, and then she's going to put you on hold. While you're on hold, you're listening to Pastor Murphy and myself talking, and then we will fade you up, introduce you, fade you up, and you can ask your question live to Pastor Murphy live on the air. But when you do call in, please listen on your phone and turn down your radio. Thank you again for listening to That's Truth. Pastor, another question that has come in. Good evening, Pastor Murphy. In a situation of a person who got divorced because of domestic abuse, can that person remarry? Well, uh, domestic abuse is not a biblical grounds for divorce. It's, it's not there. Um, what If there's abuse within the relationship, there should be separation. But there's no basis for domestic, uh, no biblical ground for domestic abuse. Um, the, the Bible, if it's a Christian, <clears throat> the Bible says you've only got two options. You separate, and if you can't, um, you're not given the gift of celibacy, you try to heal the relationship. Uh, so there's no biblical grounds to say because you've been abused that you must go and um, divorce the person and then you can get remarried. It's not there. We can't create it because uh, we feel that, I mean, I understand, I sympathize with a person. I would not recommend anybody stay in a marriage who are being physically abused. My, my first thing would be to separate and let that person get help. And I would not recommend to go back to the person unless there's clear evidence over time that there has been some kind of change in the way to deal with their partner. So it must not be that, you know, I uh, they separate for two weeks and then he says, well, you know what, I change. No, it can't work that way. It doesn't work that way. She'll come out of a body bag sometime in the future. Um, 
So once a man starts manhandling the woman, mistreating her physically, that is a habit that uh, doesn't go away overnight. So he has to be, he needs some help in anger management, how to, how to control his anger, how to respond to her, et cetera, et cetera. But abuse is not uh, given as a biblical ground for, for, for divorce. Uh, um, so, and now, let me just say this. There are times when we have to endure suffering for Christ's sake, Okay. Uh, we must not assume that because we are Christians, we are just going to have an easy life. Uh, the church throughout history has been known to be a church of suffering. And there are times when we have to suffer, remain alone in order to be honorable to God's word and to, for our conscience sake. Uh, and it's not a pleasant thing to do. But we must not believe that uh, we can just violate Scripture willy-nilly when there's no biblical grounds for what is there. And we must um, diffuse the idea that Christianity does not involve any kind of injustice or suffering, etc., uh, etc. Et it does involve uh, suffering sometimes. It does involve enduring injustice at some point in time. Uh, so I, 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 don't, I think Christians are being... Um, uh, indoctrinated or brainwashed into thinking that Christianity is is, is all ease and sweet and uh, there are no trials and testings that you're going to inspire, inspire and that you don't have to endure any long suffering etc etc and that when you become a Christian presto everything works out for you that's the delusion of what is being thought by the prosperity gospel it's a false gospel it's erroneous right? and uh, it's, it needs to be abominated for what it is uh, but we need to understand. Christ said, in, uh, Paul said, in this life you're going to have twice, you're going to have tribulation, right? Our Lord said, if if the world uh, hates me, it's going to hate you. So that's exactly how it is. And because man is sinful, there be times when even Christian makes mistakes and suffer the consequences of those mistakes. But we must not uh, twist Scripture to make it say something when it doesn't say it. Just to be abundantly clear in what you're saying there, you're not advocating that if someone is in an abusive relationship that they should remain in that oh, abusive Oh, no, I just said that clearly, yeah. Nathan. I would never recommend any person who's in an abusive to remain there. But the biblical, if you're a Christian, the option is separation. Yeah. So you can leave the situation, and if that person uh, changes and you want to go back, that would be the biblical th- thing to do. But what we want to be very careful about, Nathan, is that Telling people that, you know, because you're in a difficult situation, you go off and get married. You know, that's not supported in Scripture. We have sometimes to be patient. We have to endure testing and, and, and being, um, you know, uh, endure some suffering sometimes before God can transform an individual to bring them to the point of repentance and faith where there can be some kind of restoration. But not quick restoration because he says he's changed. Uh, that is a myth. You would have to be seeing some kind of evidence that is clear uh, evidence that that person has changed. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.50. A WhatsApp question that's just come in. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These verses... And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. And here's the question. According to these verses, there is one God. Who established the Trinity, God or men? Well, that shows you, that, it, uh, if I might say this, that you're very not aware of the Hebrew language. I would suggest you check the word one there. 
is the same word used for Adam and Eve, and they became one. So two became one. It's a what you might call like the word family, that you can have like uh, two, three within the family. That's exactly the word. That's why that word is used there. It's a, it's the uh, the Hebrew word that doesn't mean one in a unit one, but one in unity. So, so even in that verse, the su- very suggestion that Trinity exists is actually in that verse, that that person clearly doesn't understand the, Greek, the Hebrew language. And I would challenge that person to check out the word I just mentioned there, and you see that uh, inherent in that idea is a plurality of oneness. It's not one as a unit. Uh, it's a, it's just, as I said, like you've got Adam and Eve coming together and forming one. That's a plurality of oneness. So did God create the Trinity, or did man? Well... Man didn't create anything. Uh, man has revealed to him in Scripture that there is a Trinity, and God has been progress. Look, let us make man in our image. <laughs> Again, that is a hint of the Trinity. Man was not made in the. And people say angels. No, but man was not made in the image of angels. He's made in the image of God. So that shows you even in that word, let us, that there is within the Godhead a, uh, a plurality within the Godhead. And by the way, the first word in the Bible in the beginning, God, the word is Elohim, plural, but it has a singular verb. See, that even within the first word of the Bible, the, the hint there that there's a plurality within the Godhead. No, we didn't know what that really meant until God progressively shows us His Spirit. Hmm. And then He shows us His Son. Then we begin to understand what this Trinity is all about. It's progressive revelation of what God is in His essence. You probably have already answered this second part of the question, but where in the Old Testament definitively speaks of God having three parts? Well, I'll give you a verse next time yeah. that will, will show you quite clearly where the Trinity is clearly defined. Uh, where there's a, that there's a, um, I, I'll do that because there's one or two verses that this is there where it refers to the Father, it refers to God and then Jehovah and also the Spirit. I'll, I'll do that next. It can't come to my mind, right? But there are verses in the Bible that, that shows you clearly that there's, uh, that there are three distinct persons within the, the Scripture. And the other thing, the other way of doing that, Nathan, is that you know that God the Father is there in the, uh, but also that you learn that His, God creates the Father, then you learn the Spirit creates. So that is hinting even in the Old Testament that the Spirit creates. The Father creates, the Spirit creates. And then later on we see in the uh, New Testament that Christ is the one that creates. All three persons involved in creation. Uh, but we'll give you a verse or two in, in, in that in the Old Testament to, to show you exactly what it is. And over the next week at your convenience, you can listen to two entire 90-minute programs that were in uh, focus on this topic of the Trinity throughout Scripture. You can go to the podcast, That's Truth Podcast. You could just go to Google and go to your favorite podcast provider and type in That's Truth. And then look for episode 116 and 117. They're entitled The Trinity Throughout Scripture. And I'm sure there are a number of verses that Pastor shared that will answer your specific question there. A little bit of information that I found very um, alarming as I came across it this last week, Pastor, and I'm putting it in the context of the Christian world and the Christian, or the, I shouldn't say the Christian world, the Christian's life and how he spends his time. Mm-hmm. These are some facts from the U.S. Again, we're using stats from the U.S. because that's where studies have been done. As far as daily usage of uh, technology, social media, two hours and 20 minutes daily. This was in 2020. 
Imagine what it's like after the pandemic. Uh, And then another study found three hours and 29 minutes of daily watching TV video content, plus one hour and 43 minutes of daily watching uh, videos like on YouTube, plus an additional one hour and 24 minutes of playing games on mobile devices. That comes to an average... The average adult American is consuming nearly nine hours of being on devices every day. Well, that gives you an idea, Nathan, of where we are spiritually. How are you supposed to work? How are you supposed to sleep? I know. And then how are you spending time in God's Word? Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. That's where I, I suggest you. We've got a lot of church, a lot of activity, but we have very little devotional life for people. That's the reality. Christians are not praying. They're not reading the Bible. Those are two fundamental aspects of uh, Christian disciplines that Christians are not involved in. I am actually surprised it's only an hour for games because I'm going to suggest to you that in the Caribbean it's far more than that. Mm. So you've got people who are, um, I mean, you're losing eight eight hours, nine hours a day. You're rightfully, where do you find time to do anything, quite frankly, right? And if your mind, think about this this moment, imagine you're getting nine hours of that kind of thing going into your mind. How is your mind ever going to be transformed? Hmm. How will it ever be changed? So you, your, your thinking can never be renewed that you begin to think biblically, see? Uh, and I think that this is the crisis we're in. One of the things I w- thought of doing some time ago, I discussed with Brother Robert, Robert uh, Nathan, was this, right? I really wanted to get permission from the, the government to go into the schools and ask some basic questions uh, about daily life. You know, I want to find out. I want to know the moral state of the school. I want to know the drug situation. I want to know if there's any Bible reading in the home. You, you get what I'm saying? I want to have an, and I want to do the same thing to the churches in Antigua to find out. Do you read your Bible every day? I want to get that information, so that, and I want to give it to the pastors in the islands to understand where we are that we are actually at a very shallow level of Christianity. And all the pyrotechnics we have and this big thing and the next thing and this and so on, it's very, very, very shallow. There's no depth to it. And this clearly is an indication of where we are mentally in terms of the Christian faith. And that's why Christians can accept abortion. That's why Christians can accept lesbianism. and ac- Because our minds have been so radically transformed by the world's way of thinking and it's not renewed by Scripture that that explains how it is possible for Christians today to to accept some of the things that the Bible is clearly against. So does that mean that all Christians should go throw away their smartphones and get rid of all technology? No, what is needed is discipline, control, right? It's like the television. The television has evil on it, but the television is not evil in itself. The computer has evil on it, but it's not evil in itself. It has to do with managing and controlling and the discipline to decide how much time I will spend. It's the same thing with your prayer life or your your devotion life. You know, you've got to decide that you're going to spend 15 or 20 minutes in Bible reading or 15 or 20 minutes in prayer every day. If you don't do it, no matter what you do, it'll never happen. But that is where we lack today the discipline uh, to control. We're just living life each day without any kind of order to it. And you can have, not have any great Christians without discipline in that person's life. That's why Paul told Timothy, what? 
exercise yourself on the godliness. Now that word is the word for gymnastic. The same way a gymnast would practice and practice, he's telling Timothy it requires discipline and practice to become a godly person. It doesn't happen overnight. And that's, that, that's where we need to be today. So for the listener that says, Pastor Murphy, I agree. I need more discipline in my life. I want to spend more time in God's word. In the last 30 seconds, what is the secret to being more disciplined? I don't think there's any secret, Nathan. I just think that you have to set up your schedule, look at what you've got to get to do, prioritize what you need to get done, and make sure that your Christian faith and the discipline of the Christian faith, at least prayer, prayer, prayer and, and uh, Bible reading, is a definite part of that on a daily basis. That has to happen, and you alone can make that happen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. Be sure that you join us next Tuesday and invite others to tune tune in with you on That's Truth. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.